1: You're listening to the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast. I'm Nick Curtis. I'm Nancy Durrant. And this is what's coming up this week. We'll be discussing La Cage aux Folles at the Regent's Park Open Air Theatre. And the very real dangers mm-hmm. of open air theatre in this bleak land of ours.
2: And we review wordplay at the Royal Court. A
1: name that stirs the guts. Pits neighbour against neighbour, creates life-altering chaos. A name to turn back tides a different
0: way for generations. Because history always ripples on.
2: That's yeah. by Rabia Hussain and it's directed by Nimmo Ismail.
1: And our guest this week is Frankie Bridge, making her acting debut as Lauren in 2.22, A Ghost Story. When
3: I was young, before I got into a pop group, you know, that wasn't really a thing at my age. It was, you're either, I always say, you were either going to be in a string advert or you were going to be in the musical theatre. There wasn't really much in between.
1: Plus, is this the end of her singing career?
3: Welcome back
2: to the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast.
1: So, um, not a lot going on this week because of a certain arts festival happening north of the border. Yeah, and
2: also August. August. The point nobody really wants to do. Anything, That's much, true, I yeah. Think. Um,
1: I've been keeping sort of uh, half an eye on the Edinburgh coverage and we await uh, a sort of onslaught of half comedy, half stand-up one-person shows. Yes, you know, there's going to be a lot of that. Y- involving a lot of neurosis, I think, yeah. you know, a lot of therapy yeah. being worked out on stage. I
2: think last year was the year of grief. I'm not sure this year quite yet what the themes are, but uh, um, but yeah, it's definitely very inward looking.
1: Yeah, there's well, there's one about a sex robot, I know, which I think, oh. you know, clearly has a transfer to...
2: Presumably not by a sex robot, well, so possibly. Not quite, quite so inward looking. I don't look. think we AI's got quite that far yet. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I look forward. Do I? Do, do I? I do you really look forward to that? Forward yeah. Or no? Is that going to be the Maybe end not. of
1: days and the, the term, termination of civilization Literally, when that happens? Skynet um, goes live. Yeah. Yes, indeed. So yeah, not not a huge amount happening. Although I did see today news of a, a, an exhibition that looks quite interesting called "Cartoonists Go to the Theatre. Oh yeah,
2: that sounds fun. Which
1: is at the Charing Cross Library. It's opening later this month. It seems to be themed around uh, when cartoonists have used the theatre as a medium, so showing Rishi Sunak as Richard the Third, that sort of thing, rather than the old tradition of actual. Cartoons accompanying theatre reviews. Oh, which yes, was, those
2: caricatures. They used
1: to be lovely ones. The, the Daily Mail, when Jack Tinker was their critic, um, Gary, their cartoonist, Gary Smith, used to do a, a wonderful overnight. Uh, caricature of the of the lead characters of a play. I feel like
2: I've seen these as well in what were at one point, and I'm not sure what they are now, but the a theatre and performance galleries. Yes. When they weren't using photography, yeah. it was very much a thing, wasn't it? And yeah. they, were rather, they were rather beautiful. But I don't know whether, as you say, I don't know whether they've got those at this show, have they? But
1: I, I'm but, not, I, they may have some of that in as well. I've only seen a selection because I think it's only literally just been announced and a cartoonist uh, who I don't actually know just tweeted them at me and said, this is Come to wet your appetite. This. So That's uh, fun. So that was kind of nice. I I've, like that. I've got a cartoon on my wall. Two guys called Knife and Packer used to do a pocket cartoon in the Evening Standard, and they drew one. Um, just say the caption was Theatre critic of Guns and Ammo magazine," and it was a guy in a suit and an aisle with this enormous machine gun <laughs> <laughs> trained on the billiard stage. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that was it. For I want to see on the days that. when I was a more savage theatre critic than I possibly am now. Yeah, you know, maybe. Age having mellowed me.
2: But yeah. uh, I do actually. That reminds me, though. I do quite want to go back to the V and have a look at what they've done with their theatre and performance, what were once called the theatre and performance galleries, and maybe they still are, although I know that they've messed around with the sort of curatorial roles, but they do have some really amazing stuff actually. There's like an entire theatre box from somewhere that was shipped in, God knows where from, and you know, they've got loads and lots of ephemera, lots of costumes. For anyone who really loves theatre, it's actually just a really kind of magical place to spend an hour or so. It
1: is, and I'd never really sort of thought of them until I went to see the musicals exhibition that they put on there, which wasn't all that impressive, although Mm. The, the wonderful thing about it was the Operation Mincemeat guys were all there because their poster, was their very clever poster yes. was in there. And they were all taking selfies of each other going, oh, my God, we're in the we're in a so musical thing. They are really sweet. <laughs> also, the v has my archive. <laughs> he what? said grandly. The
2: Nick Curtis well, Memorial <laughs> Archive absolutely. is at the v <laughs> When
1: I was, uh, uh, so, you know, I was a theatre critic for 10 years. Then I went off and did other stuff for 20 years. And then I came back to being a theatre critic. And for those first 10 years, I hung on to every program um, of every crappy friend show that I went to. And they were mostly crappy friends. Interest. so I was a deputy yeah but that stuff doesn't critic. exist anymore exactly. I mean I th-
2: I have I live in a tiny 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 flat I have to recycle everything yeah and yeah. I, you know I'd love to be able to keep all my programs especially mm. all the big stuff it's like fanzines isn't it exactly stuff yes, that you, yeah th- this stuff gets lost
1: ephemera that gets that yeah. gets missing and uh, I kept I them all on a top shelf built into an alcove and one day the shelf fell down it all fell on me so I thought <laughs> this is a sign and I rang up the theater museum which was then oh, in Covent course, Garden yeah. uh, run by the VNA uh, but they actually you know had a had a venue in the basis of the underneath the transport museum and said I've got like a sack load of, of fringe stuff 10 years worth of fringe stuff are you interested and they said yes that's stuff we don't have so somewhere there that's is <laughs> sort of the, my my archive as I grandly say how but, fun uh, yeah that's I doubt great. I doubt very much that anyone's looked at it ever since it probably well, in a I, I'm sure warehouse that it is somewhere. of great
2: value to scholars future
1: it. generations Absolutely. will glory in it I'm Absolutely. sure Absolutely. yeah
2: well um, there we go shall we uh, shall we kick off with some reviews well, let's kick well, it off.
1: Well, 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 listeners. Now then, this time, this is not a review of La Caja Fall it at the not. Open Air Theatre because, for the first time since 2017. Press night was rained off earlier this week. I will be going to see the show tonight. It
2: rained off, but not before I was able to bag the absolute Regent's Park Open Air Theatre must have, which is the massive mosquito bite on my knee.
1: Ah, oh, fantastic. Yeah, every as,
2: single time I go. As well and as they the are of... nuclear, by the way. <laughs> I don't know what the conditions are there that particularly grow these extraordinary like... Kind of, I don't know, X Men mosquitoes, mm. but like I've now got a third knee. Oh, blind So that's, that's, that's oh, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> <That's> fine.
1: <laughs> Who'd have thought that London would become the sort of tropical rainforest? Over
2: well, there? Yeah, yeah, people have been telling us that for years. But um, anyway.
1: <laughs> but I think you also got the other must have at the Regent's Park Open Air Theatre, which is a, a large sort of human sized condom that they hand out oh, on the way in. Oh my as a God, sort of
2: those ponchos are. Disgusting because now, like they used to do the sort of plastic ones, you know, Ooh. which were which were also kind of hideous, but kept the rain off and what have you. But now they're being very eco, and they've got these ones which are biodegradable, and they feel very much like they might be biodegrading, as you said, <laughs> in yes. the rain, as they cling to everything that you're wearing, and it yeah. doesn't feel. You know, when you wear a raincoat that's cold and it is keeping you dry but it feels like you might as well be soaking wet yes. inside, it's a bit yeah. like that, they're yeah. not very pleasant yeah. so if you are going to go and I think you should go, definitely because the Regents Park Open Air Theatre is a wonderful place yes. definitely take a proper raincoat with it's, you. In the in the,
1: in the the balmy days when there were, used to be warm summers I mean, we are now finally getting on to the warm summer and hopefully, and I'm going back to Regents Park to see the full thing tonight because it was rained off for the first time in since 2017 yeah. about 45, 50 minutes into, into the show they yeah, started yeah. late because it It was raining at the beginning yeah, and they were sort of mopping down the stage. But in the old days, I remember even on warm evenings, you'd see sort of uh, uh, people who'd never been to Regent's Park before turning up in shorts and T-shirts. And you'd see all the veterans and all the theatre critics turning up in sort of heated, you know, thermal sleeping bags and (laughs) tents and ponchos (laughs) for all weather conditions because, you know, that is the problem. There are certain shows... I've never seen that. There was a production of The Beggar's Opera at the uh, at the Open Air Theatre was that was rained off on three separate occasions, oh. you know, three different performances. There was a Kiss Me Kate that was rained off twice. Um, it's the downpour seemed to start on the line. God, this unbearable heat! Do you, <laughs> you remember Kiss Me Kate? And uh, unfortunately, in La Caja Fall, it ended yeah, just as uh, the son of the two gay lead characters was saying. It's starting to rain. <laughs> <laughs> We're <laughs> We're I'm like, um, like no kidding. No kidding,
2: it's been raining for about fifteen minutes. <laughs> yeah, so we can't
1: uh, so we can't properly review this. We for, can't on the basis of what of what we've seen. But it's um It's interesting seeing this revived. I mean, I'd I'd never seen the musical
2: before. I've seen the film. No, I've never seen the musical either. I've seen um, The Birdcage. Yeah. But that's the only thing. And um, I hadn't actually until this point realised just how close it is to, well, I mean, as I say, I haven't seen the second half or indeed the last bit of the first half, but so far it seems very, very close. Yeah. I thought The Birdcage was a bit more kind of changed Mm. from the musical. But anyway, turns out so far it's not um but it is uh, yeah i haven't seen the musical myself before and it is kind of it's an interesting story because i mean i know it's set in the 70s but it is quite a dated sort of concept isn't it the lad asking his parents his two male you know parents who yeah. are a gay couple to pretend not to be gay yes. and like I would have thought you would have the decency to be a bit more embarrassed about that. Like, because it's funny, though, isn't it? It's like, you know, I know it's set in the 70s. It's very visually set in the 70s. Yes. But because it's kind of like a silly musical with a sort of like, you know, a borderline panto edge. Yes. That kind of, the period setting doesn't, it, it, it sort of melts into the background a Little bit, so it feels very, very weird that that's happening and that nobody seems to think that that's completely unacceptable. Yes, it's yes, quite it's, funny, it's, it's a, very true. It's, it didn't land with the audience at all, it was no. very funny. They all went, Oh, yeah, <laughs> it was really quite funny. I mean,
1: I suppose in some ways, the some some things never change. One of the reasons that uh, the, the son feels he has to ask them to go through the charade is that uh, his fiance's dad is a right wing populist. Politician, Politician peddling yes, uh, is, yeah. a line of you know sort of outmoded morality and <laughs> yeah. uh, or you know um, traditionalism. Yeah, which feels
2: very much more up to date, oddly enough. Yeah. Yes, yes, indeed, it does.
1: Um, it's interesting that this came about within two years of them reviving the normal heart at the National, yeah. which is both of them. Co-written by um, Harvey Feirstein. Right, right. Which, weirdly, the the, the 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 normal heart, although it was very much of its time, and that yeah. came very much from the sort of bleeding edge of the AIDS crisis. Yeah, um, that's almost like a report from the front line. Uh, yeah. from the early '80s. Um, yeah, you sort
2: of like you, you can kind of understand. It, for me, that that sort of illuminated the kind of internalized homophobia of that period. Yeah. The, and the self-loathing, and the and then and also the the conflict within the community of that period in a way that didn't you know it didn't make you go oh that's completely unacceptable because you were like okay I see why that is happening yeah um whereas it I mean this I mean this is a very different sort of thing isn't mm.
1: it it's a shame it's a great sh- shame for Tim Sheeder because it's his, his sort of swan song the raining
2: off I mean the raining yeah. off of yeah, his, yeah, of yeah, his yeah, press absolutely. night is a
1: pity I mean yeah. I think he will still get his reviews but this was his his swan yeah. song as artistic director of yeah. the Open Theatre which he has he's going
2: to the Donmar isn't he he's going to the Donmar which
1: yeah. uh, I think we've said on here before is a very interesting appointment mm. You know, yeah. to go from a a large necessarily brash because it's outdoors popular theatre yeah. where a lot of his work has been in reviving Musicals like this, you know, slightly neglected musicals, in some cases, doing wonderful sort of reinventions of them, the Jesus Christ Superstar that he staged there, Mm. um, the Evita he did more recently, directed by Jamie Lloyd.
2: I think it's interesting, though, in a way, because, you know, the fact is that what he's done very successfully at Regent's Park Open Air Theatre is work with the space. Yes. And so I wonder whether that actually is part of the appeal um, with the Donmar, because he's probably like, oh, I'm itching to have a go with a different type of space and to do, you know, the kind of things that I couldn't have done at Regent's Park Open Air Theatre and, again, kind of really make that intimate space work for the audience. I'm going to be really interested to see what he yes. does and sort of flexing a different muscle.
1: Yes, yes, I agree. Yeah, it was really interesting. Uh, I caught up on Mrs. Doubtfire the other week and oh, right. uh, the former director of the Regent's Park Open Air Theatre, Ian Talbot, is in that as oh, a right. children's entertainer. Um, and... um I think I was always probably a bit unkind to Ian Talbot in the past, and now look back on him with with much more generosity of spirit than I did then. But in those days, you know, they used to do a production of Midsummer Night's Dream every year and Ian Talbot would usually direct it and he would usually give his bottom, as they say, you know, every <laughs> single year. Um, and it was always very, very similar. And there was sometimes a musical, there was usually one other Shakespeare. But it was—it was—it felt like much less of an event. The openings at the Open Air Theatre under Tim Sheeder had become real parts of the calendar. It
2: was quite and starry. It was back. very
1: starry last night. I had Bonnie Langford in front of me. I he,
2: know. I he, saw that. Genuine bona fide musical theatre legend. Absolutely. I also saw Ad- Joe Ando, further down. The, oh yeah, there uh, were, no, there were like, loads a, of people with, around. by the way, a woolly beanie on. <laughs> Very sensible. Everybody
1: dressed for the uh, yeah. For, yeah for the for the worst, which is as we've said before, wise. Yeah. yeah.
2: I just want to say, and I know we're not reviewing, but I did want to say that I really, really was enjoying. When the show closed, the relationship between Billy Carter's George and Karl Mulaney's Albin yeah. in uh, La Cage aux because yeah. it felt very, very tender and adorable, and yes. I, f- I feel like that is sort of like the the heart of the of the whole thing, and I yeah. just I just wanted to give them a little. You know, shout out because I don't know whether I'm going to get back and I want, you know, I, yeah. I just wanted to say I thought that was lovely. It I really also, believed in their relationship. It also
1: features, it has a great opening number. Oh with my God. Some tap dancing drag queens, that's one of the reasons why they had to stop well, it. Yeah, if I you've mean, got, you
2: cannot break the drag queens. Drag queens do are in
1: high heels on a stage with a rake on it, then, mm. uh, you know,
2: yeah. Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> Too dangerous.
2: Yeah, well, exactly.
1: Well, maybe, maybe next week I'll be able to tell you what the rest of it was like.
2: I would very much like to hear that.
1: Okay, you're on.
2: Right, uh, I think time for a quick ad break.
1: Yep, coming up, Frankie Bridge joins me down the line from the Apollo Theatre. We talk about her role as Lauren in 2.22, a ghost story, how her school friends keep her grounded, and whether there'll ever be a Saturday's comeback.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices Hello, my name is
2: Charlie Stemp, and you are listening to the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast.
1: You are listening to the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast, and I am joined now by Frankie Bridge.
3: Thank you. Hello.
1: (laughs) Would you mind telling the listeners who who may not know that much about it what Two Twenty Two A Ghost Story is about and your part within it?
3: It's one of those ones that's annoying because I don't want to give too much away because there is so many twists and turns throughout the show. But basically, you come and you watch four people at a dinner party. And there is something scary that happens every night at 2.22. These friends decide to sit it out until that time and wait for this moment to happen. And it's all kind of a question of, are ghosts real? Aren't they coming up with reasons why human beings think they are? And kind of fighting against that with scientific facts as to why ghosts can't be real. And all the relationships that come within that. So I play a character, Lauren, And she's the only person on stage that knows everyone in the room. It's one of those shows that's going to make you jump, laugh and cry. So it's a real experience of the emotions, I would say.
1: It's interesting because for years, these sort of genre plays had sort of died out. And then The Woman in Black came in and ran for absolutely forever as this sort of old-fashioned ghost story. And even though 2.22 is set recognisably in modern London... The way it springs it scares on you is quite sort of classic, isn't it? It literally makes your hair stand on and it makes you jump out of your seat.
3: It's more jumpy than scary, I would say. And I, I know some people find those two things the same thing. But I think the story, like most scary films, I would say... Uh, kind of you know not scary if you had it on silent it wouldn't be as scary i think we draw you in and we make your brain start thinking so the noises make you even more jumpy but for me the is it the woman in black yes i never went to see it because i knew there was a part where she came into the audience and i just couldn't stand the thought of, of that happening we're
1: only allowed to do this spoiler now that show's closed
3: <laughs> oh, okay yeah so it's closed um so i would say don't worry about that happening that doesn't happen
1: No, fair enough. Um, Lauren is a psychiatrist, is that right, or a psychologist?
3: Yeah, so I think that's the fun thing for me about playing Lauren is that numerous British faces have played Jenny. And for me, it's quite nice as a change that I'm playing Lauren, so I don't feel like I'm being compared to like Cheryl or Lily Allen. And yes, she's a psychiatrist She has a drinking problem, so you slowly see her throughout the show get drunker and drunker as the show goes on. And she's fun because she's there to have a good time, but also she has a confusing relationship with all of the characters there. And... So she kind of she's very up and down and you can't really guess what she's going to do next.
1: What made you want to do it? This is your first acting role, isn't it? Or your first one certainly since drama school?
3: Yes, it is. Um, I was in a pop group from the age of 12. So for me, acting <laughs> hasn't really been a part of my life for a really long time. Funnily enough, I know Jake Wood, who was in 2.22 yeah. before, and so I came to watch him in it with Lily Allen. And I just loved it because I'm normally a musicals fan. I've only watched a handful of plays and this was the first play that I genuinely loved. And that's what I think is great about it is that you don't have to be someone that only likes going to plays. It's entertaining enough in its own right. And after I watched it, I thought, you know what? I'd love to do something like that. Never said that out loud. And then a few years later, it's come round and... Just one of those full circle moments of being asked to do it was a real big hint for me.
1: Was it a long-held desire to act? Was it something you'd you'd sort of started out wanting to do and then got diverted into music?
3: When I was young, um, before I got into a pop group, you know, that wasn't really a thing at my age. It was, you're either, I always say, you were either going to be in a cheese string advert or you were going to be in the musical theatre. There wasn't really much in between. And I didn't end up doing any of that and then ended up in a pop group and... I loved singing and dancing um, just as much as I loved acting. I just loved performing in general. I kind of happened to fall into that at the age of 12 and then that continued to be my career. So when I finished with music, acting was definitely something that was on my list and a box that I wanted to tick. I'd been asked to audition for lots of different shows and musicals and things in the past and none have ever felt right for me because I know that I have this being already in the public eye It's very easy, one, for people to kind of dismiss you easily for how you perform. Um, And two, I didn't want to fall into a a role that seemed really obvious for me to do. So I love the idea that, yes, other people have been in 2.22. But I feel like the show is so good and so different and there's no singing in it that it was... Kind of different enough and far removed enough for it to be something totally different for me.
1: I mean, I love the show and what I love about it is that it has its own sort of alchemy. It takes this very old format, it updates it, it makes it very sort of fresh and surprising, but the star casting also does add an, an you know, an essential frisson to it, you know, the, and the fact that new people are constantly cycling in and out of it gives it a freshness, I think, you know, each time each time it's recast, it feels slightly different. I felt that, you know, the second time I saw it was very different to the first.
3: Everyone brings something new to the table. I know that obviously I saw it with Lily and Jake, and then I really wanted to see Cheryl in it, and then never got round to doing it. And the same with Sophia Bush, who I've replaced, sadly for her, but great for me. Yeah. Um, And I really wanted to see her in it, because I love One Tree Hill. And I think that's what's great about the show is that, yes, you can see it and you find out at the end, you know, the big outcome and the big Um. twist. But then you can watch it again and see if you can figure out the little hints that we give you throughout the show.
1: You said something about finishing with music just now. Is your music career finished then or is the solo career rolling on? Might the Saturdays get back together again?
3: For now, I think it's finished. Um, We have no plans to get back together and I have no real desire at the moment to do it again. Maybe a musical would be something I'd probably maybe try first. But like I'm 34 now. I started when I was 12, so... I feel like a, that's a itch that's been scratched and I get to try so many different right. things now and it's so nice.
1: I interviewed uh, Jamie Oliver the other day who I realised has been famous for half his life, but you've been famous for almost two thirds of yours now. <laughs> what does that do to your head? How do you stay sort of stable?
3: Um, I, I don't think it's not always been stable, but it is very much so now. I think for me, I don't really have, not intentionally, but I, most of my friends are my friends from school. Um, I don't have many friends in the business I have friends but not my closest friends are still my friends from home and I'm sure you know friends from home are very good at keeping you grounded Um, and that's what I love about them you know they're the people that knew me before anything had ever happened in my life and the same with them so I cherish those relationships a lot and also just I don't see why being in the public eye um, gives anyone an opportunity to be rude or unkind Um, but also it can be a lot of pressure and I can see why it can be hard to have a stable mind throughout and sometimes that pressure gets on top of you but as I've got older and had kids I've just kind of realised that you know what you can't please everyone not everyone's going to like you they're not going to like everything you do and you've just got to go for it I think if I'd been offered this part six months ago mentally I'd have been like no I'm not ready to take that on. But I just felt in a really right. good place to be able to go, yeah, OK, I'm ready for a challenge and I'll give it all I've got and let's see what happens. And I had six um, rehearsal days before my first show, so...
1: Was your husband Wayne there on the first night? Was he? Did he admit to jumping out of his seat on the, for the well, jump time? Well, he's scares? the one that
3: came to see it with me the first time and it's the first play he's ever seen. And just for him to say that he liked it was a big, a big thing. Um, so, yeah, he came on the first night. He was super proud. He just said to me, you know, whatever you kind of try your hand at, you managed to do it. Like, you know, he said you didn't need to be as nervous because I didn't eat for about four days. I was so nervous. But he loved it. And he said, actually, he really enjoyed all the relationships within the show and believed them so much this time. So... It's nice that someone like him who it's not really his bag can pick up and stuff like that
1: you know I mentioned obviously the pop career um and some of the tv appearances but you know you were also in strictly and I'm a celebrity is this a different sort of order of experience does this give you a different sort of emotional payback or emotional kick to the other stuff you've done
3: yeah I think you know what I'm as a kid I've like I said I've loved performing and there's always that creative side of me that I always feel needs to be fulfilled. And I think I managed to get that from Strictly, you know, getting to learn something completely new. And I grew up watching that show with my parents and my grandparents. And so for that, that was creatively satisfying. Um, The Jungle, not so much. That's more a a (laughs) test of your, uh, I don't know, level of sanity, I think. It's kind of a rite of passage, let's say, in my position to be able to do it. Um, so for me, something like this is it really is fun just to be so out of my comfort zone. For me, acting is really exposing. It's not like dancing and singing where you can kind of hide behind a song and a dance routine. Although you do get um, directed, they are decisions ultimately that you have to make on stage. So I think that's a really yeah. fun, terrifying thing for me to try. Um, and I'm really glad that I have.
1: Brilliant. Well, congratulations uh, on doing it on five day, five or six days rehearsal and um, 2.22 continues at the Apollo Theatre. Uh, Frankie Bridge, thank you so much for joining us on the Standard Theatre podcast. Thank you. That was Frankie Bridge speaking to me from the Apollo Theatre.
2: Coming right up after this short break, we'll be reviewing Wordplay, now on at the Royal Court.
0: Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Millie Alcock and you're listening to The Evening Standard Theater podcast. <laughs> Welcome back.
1: Right, wordplay at the royal court. I really enjoyed this. I had a feeling that some people wouldn't. What did you think, Nancy?
2: I absolutely, definitely did enjoy it. Right, <laughs> I did big enjoy but it. not yeah. it? I thought, well, you know, it was funny. It was clever. It was thoughtful. You know, you come away with a sort of appreciation. I think. I mean, it's about. All right, let's go back a bit. It's yeah. it's well, it's not really about anything, is it? But it's about, I suppose. The power of words, the subtle power of words. Your choice of word can make a huge difference. And about how language impacts on sort of everything, really. I think, I suppose, it's a very nebulous concept. Yes, it's not really a story. It's not really a story at all. It's not really a play. No, no, it's 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 a series of thematically linked sketches. Yeah, it's sort of. I suppose it feels more like. It feels a bit more like performance art. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Or kind of somewhere like that, because the through thread isn't quite strong enough, although there is one, but it doesn't quite tie it tight enough to feel like a play. You know, you come away with a sort of appreciation of the kind of ideas behind it, but there are a lot of them. Yes. I think you liked it more than me, but mm. I found it I found it persistently interesting. Yes. But I think one of the things that started to bother me a bit was that you very quickly begin to understand that each scene is going to be very short, which means that any jeopardy within those scenes doesn't really take hold because you know it's going to disappear. The Royal Court is new writing. right? It's new writing. It's very often experimental writing. And I think you need to go in and see things very much with that in mind. Like You're not expecting it to be you know the next show at the Littleton or whatever it's, yeah. it's something completely different and you absolutely have to go in with totally different expectations and in that respect I really did enjoy this a yes. great deal and I really like the cast. I really like
1: the cast it's a five strong non-white cast and a lot of the questions it addresses about the use or misuse of language is to do with with race or with culture, yeah. isn't it? Um, yeah, it starts absolutely. off with, with two voiceovers discussing uh, Enoch Powell's Rivers of Blood speech.
2: Yeah. And Which isn't a particularly like dynamic start. It's not a dynamic say, start, but, you know, it's, but a, it's fine. But it
1: sort of sets the scene and it sort, of, it, it sort of flags up as well, I thought quite cleverly, the way three-word slogans quite often work. Rivers mm. of Blood, Take Back Control, all yeah. those sort of things. Yeah. But you then get into, I thought, a very funny, almost Thick of It style sketch where uh the private office at number 10 are coping with a gaffe by an unnamed, but pretty easily identifiable yes, exactly. prime minister, I think. Yeah, um, they say,
2: should became get him a haircut? And they're like, no, 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 he looks better without it. Yeah, you know, should we get like, him a new oh, suit? No,
1: no, no. <laughs> yeah, no. So I think we know who they're talking about. And he's obviously said some, uh, made some Gaff or slur, um, which they are scrambling to to cover up for because he refuses to apologise. Yeah. So they're googling synonyms for sorry. I know it's so good. We're going regret, chagrin.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, and and that really shows you the the sort of. I think I said when I wrote this up that I thought the the cast really have deeply funny bones. They're yeah. very 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 funny people. Yeah, they're these really.
2: Actors. They are really good. They're hugely charismatic. I think that all of the acting across the board was really, really strong. It's written by Rabia Hussain and it's directed by Nimmo Ismail um, and some of the direction is a bit distracting, I think. There's quite a lot of kind of expecting something from the direction which is quite a little bit fussy in this very, very spare space which then doesn't transpire
1: it's a little bit tricky, and it Trixie. is a bit of a, a bit of a sort of tricky yeah, concept. The whole thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the fascinating thing, which I didn't know until um, I was sat down in front of it, is that uh, Rabia Hussein was writing this play when she was diagnosed with a brain tumour, which affected her speech centres and her comprehension and use of words
2: yeah i mean so it's absolutely extraordinary this right? is
1: really shot through with that uh the scenes are very are very short there are some which are quite powerful just particularly one moment where one man talks about trying to educate his children yes. his father told him to sort of uh laugh off slurs the whole sort of sticks mm. and stones may break my bones yeah. thing, but words will never hurt me but he says, "Actually, words strike you like artillery fire," which yeah. was a, a you know a phrase that really yeah, embedded really itself in, in my mind. I like the use of. I'm always slightly relieved um, when plays reference the fact that uh, people actually use mobile phones these days. Yeah. The almost drama acts as if yeah, they weren't invented. invented you know. yeah, exactly. um, I'm not saying I want every play to be like this, but I think particularly a play about words. Yeah, exactly,
2: um, because as we see in this one, there's a whole other language which is currently in use, yeah. which is text, uh, what do you call it? Um, Hashtags emoji and language, emojis. Hashtags yes, and so, emojis. Yeah, I love those scenes as well where there's a group of friends they're all on the stage, but they're all in different places, and they're all texting each other, and they're speaking the emoji yeah. texts that they're sending to each other, and it is really funny. Yeah, yeah, so it's really
1: no. funny. I, I really thought, like it. Thought it was really nice. I, I, as you say, we both thought Kosar Ali was great. I think there's yeah. a love. She has a lovely sort of conspiratorial acting style it sort of yeah. invites you in to, as if you're sharing something complicit with her yeah, and she's, she's still only so 21 young. i think I or know. something she's amazingly young
2: i've seen Yusra Wasama in a number of things yeah, and same. she has a sort of elegant charisma yes, uh, yes. in every role that she plays yeah, um, yeah. and i am just you know i sort of look forward to more leading roles for her actually because yeah. i think she's really i'd like good. to
1: see i'd like someone to give Simon Manyonda a, a sort of a really dramatic role he plays the sort of geek parts yeah, he really does, well yeah exactly um, brilliantly
2: he's a very very good comic actor yeah, yeah. Yeah. i quite like to see him in Richard III. Oh, Richard III or Hamlet, you know, like Hamlet, fun, you know yeah. level, but Great. he's not doing that here. He nope. is being a geek or, you know, a series yeah. of geeks and uh,
1: yeah. does it very well. Issam al-Ghussain, I wasn't that familiar with. Uh, no, I've
2: never seen him before. Serene Sabra, I've seen him
1: many things. The five of them, they're all uh, different ages, different levels of experience, but I think they mesh really well here.
2: Yeah, again, this is a new play and I thought that the the kind of wealth of ideas in it Was like really rich and exciting. Yeah. So you know, I do think it's. I think it's absolutely worth seeing. It's the most enjoyable
1: thing I've seen at the theatre upstairs at
2: the Royal Court for quite a long time. Oh really? (laughs) Yes. I I don't know how how much is that. I have. I must admit, I haven't seen that much at the Royal Court upstairs recently. But, uh, but yeah, enjoyable is a good yes word. Yes, definitely. There we go. I think. When's it on until? It is on until
1: August the twenty-sixth.
2: Brilliant. I think people should go.
1: I think people should go too.
2: That's it for this week's episode of the Evening Standard Theatre podcast.
1: Thanks to our guest this week, Frankie Bridge. You can find all our interviews, including with Charlie Stemp and Tom Eden, Daniel Mays, Millie Alcock and many, many more down below.
2: Thank you also to our producer, Rachel Abbott. And you can find all our latest reviews straight from Press Night at standard.co.uk. That's linked below.
1: Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and we'll see you next week.